Good morning and welcome again. My name's Craig. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's our privilege to have you with us as we've gathered to worship the Lord together. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 2, uh, the very end of that book, Acts chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 42. I would just remind you that um, we do have a Next Steps class coming up two weeks from today. If you're a, uh, are visiting with us and uh, for the first time or the 50th time and you've never attended one of those, I'd invite you to come meet with me there as you uh, can hear about what it looks like to become a member at Malvern Hill. We would love to just have you in there to ask any questions that you might have um, related to membership here in our church. And please pay special attention to uh, the church newsletter that was emailed out this week. If you are not on our email mailing list, you can find that on our church website. Um, uh, not yet, but it will be up there. I'm not sure if it's there yet or not. But it uh, uh, just kind of lays out for you some of the mission initiatives that we've got uh, in front of us, uh, not only right now, but in the near future. So I would encourage you to look through that and figure out ways that you might be able to participate, certainly about ways that you can be praying for all different things that the Lord has um, opportunities for us in the future. Okay, having said those things, I do want to just reiterate I cannot, if, if, if I stutter this much through the whole sermon, we'll be here until 1 o'clock. Um, reiterate uh, what Buster said. Thank you so much for those of you that helped with our barbecue. And with so many things, right? Uh, without y'all, there is none of the ministry that takes place, whether it's our, our women's event last weekend, our barbecue this weekend, our children's ministry. So many things require so many hands. Um, I mean, up here on stage, these are all volunteers who are serving faithfully to the Lord. So thank you so much for making certain that the ministry of God's church can take place right here at Malvern Hill. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. We've been in Acts now for a few weeks, and we'll be here for a while. Hear now, for this is the Word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that we would be an all-filled church. Lord, a church that regularly stands amazed at the presence of the Lord among us and the work that you, Lord God, would do in and through us. Use us, Lord God. And Father, I pray that in this particular moment that you'd use me to proclaim this word, that you would speak clearly and loudly in Christ's name. Amen. The All-Field Church. Um, on your uh, worship guide, on your, your outline there, the question that I have listed is, what does a healthy church do? And when I wrote that earlier this week, I didn't like it, and I re rearranged it, and I reworked it three or four or five times, and I still couldn't make it do what I wanted, but I finally had to put something down there so we could be printed in front of y'all. And this morning, I was sitting in my office, and I said, oh, that's what it was supposed to be. And so I want you to scratch through that, and we're going to say this. What are the characteristics of a healthy church? What are the characteristics of a healthy church? Now, uh, keep in mind that we could 
walk through a much longer list than we're going to today. One of my favorite books related to church health is Mark Dever's Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Um, I have personally um, listed um, six or seven that, that, that could sort of be an umbrella category for those things. But this morning we're going to look at four characteristics of a healthy church, at least four, that were very present in the early church. As the church emerged from its birth, it was characterized in a particular way. Folks, healthy churches do healthy church things, just like healthy people do healthy things. And these are things that a healthy church should do. The first thing we're going to see this morning, we're going to jump straight in. Healthy churches are committed to biblical discipleship. Healthy churches are committed to biblical discipleship. The Bible says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to it. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. The ESV, as I just read, says they devoted. The King James says they continued steadfastly. I like that. They were like running after it, and they kept on keeping on after the teaching of the apostle. Like they're just hanging on to every word, and they're sitting there saying, can we get just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more? The idea here is that they were committed, they were steadfast, they were devoted, they were seeking, they were pursuing. Discipleship is commitment to the teaching of God's word. Discipleship is sort of eating it, uh, processing it, chewing it, dis- digesting it. It's, it's this idea that the Word of God is just infusing us. Now, I think that one of the places that we mess up when we speak about discipleship and spiritual disciplines is we, we speak of them as this onerous thing that we are supposed to do. It's like this burden that we have to carry. Folks, I want to suggest to you this morning that if we get discipleship right, it's not this heavy pack that we're carrying around with us. It's a joyful adventure that we take with the Lord. Discipleship done right, discipleship done right, is me pursuing that which I love with reckless abandon. It's me pursuing that which I love and doing all I can to know a little bit more about the Lord, get a little bit better at this this journey of what it looks like to walk with Jesus. How many of you have passions in life? Okay, well, how many of you need a passion? Y'all need a hobby. All right, we, 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 all, we all have something that, that we're just excited about. We, we enjoy. Some of you, it's, it's, it's a particular sports team maybe. Some of you have like a, a real hobby. You, you like cooking. Buster, we, we did barbecue this week, but that's not just something he does here. Like it's a passion for him. He gets excited about understanding how to cook things differently. And some of you have that way. We have one lady in our church that has massive collection of cookbooks, and she just loves to get them and read them because she wants to always be kind of growing in her understanding of what it looks like to, to, to cook a little bit better. Some of you might have a passion or, or a hobby about woodworking or things like that. Woodworking always amazes me. Those of you that are really good at it, like I tinker at it a little bit occasionally, but those of you that are really good at it, you can take two pieces of wood and you can get them together and make these joints that almost disappear. It just blows my mind at the, the, the careful and, and meticulous work that goes in. I had somebody walk in the other day and I'm like, well, you've got to flip the wood this way and get the grain going that way, and then everything does. I was like, what? even okay what if we just glue these two pieces together you think that'll be all right i just get this he just rolls his adam does this to me a lot he just rolls his eyes and walks away 
Folks, when we think about growing in godliness, sometimes we just preach it wrong. We teach it wrong. We, we speak about spiritual disciplines as this, this burden that I carry. Now, now, now listen to me. If you're going to grow in godliness, there are going to be days that your discipline is just a heavy load to carry. Last night, we got home from the barbecue. I had a really long week. Um, just, just one of those weeks. We've got kids right now. We've got sports uh, seasons that are overlapping, and so we got kids in sports, and we got kids in school, and we got this uh, this church thing that we're kind of committed to around here, and and just sort of one thing after another. We get home after being uh, a really up here most all day, um, and, and and other things. And Angela looks at me. She goes, "You want to go for a walk?" It's like, "No, I don't want to go for a walk. No." You know what I did? I went for a walk. Well, here, here's what I know about trying my best to not weigh 400 pounds after eating all that barbecue I ate yesterday. I know that for me to stay somewhat healthy, I've got to actually exercise when I want to, but my greatest gains are made when I exercise when I don't want to, right? Everybody kind of does it when they want to. So, so let me just say the first thing I want to keep in mind is when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, I want us to get out of the idea that it's always this heavy burden that I must bear. Oh, woe is me. i got to go read my Bible again. No, I get to read my Bible again today. But I also want to remind you that there will be times, and sometimes your times of greatest spiritual growth, are going to be when you do those things for or with the Lord on the days that you really just don't feel like it. My oldest daughter broke her leg at the barbecue uh, like eight years ago yesterday. So uh, Sorry, I don't call you out. But it was eight, nine, nine years ago yesterday. Um, and uh, it was, she broke her femur. She did it right. She didn't play. But we are horrible parents. And so when she broke it and she said it hurts, and we said just walk it off, literally. And she wouldn't walk on it, and we're, she's a drama queen, she's four, so we take her five, and so we take her home, and we put her to bed, and we get her up the next morning, and she, she's trying to put on her little cowboy boots, and she couldn't get them on, and she said it hurts, and she came to church anyway, because we're those kind of people, you know, just come on, walk it off, and she whined, and she moaned, and Angela, I, I never, she's honey, I don't know what I said, just take her to the doctor, let them x-ray it, and then we can say, honey, just suck it up and move on, and they x-rayed it, and she had broken her femur. Like, that's the big one up here, in case you didn't know. <laughs> she calls me from the doctor, she's like, it's, it's her femur. I said, man, you got to be kidding me. Listen, it, I'll never forget, I've, I've written about this, I've talked about this multiple times, I've written about this. It was one of those, those incredibly depressing family moments. At that time, we had like terrible insurance, and I'm, I'm processing how much it's going to cost me, because usually a femur break is surgery, and I'm processing all it's going to cost to have this, and, and she's going to be on the shelf for all this time, and my little daughter's hurt, and I don't, like, I don't know if she's in this this long cast forever, it's near the growth plate, Where is that? What's, how, how does that affect her? I've got all of this stress and worry. And she comes home from the hospital, after have, or the, the ER, wherever, after having all those things done. And she gets home at 3 or 4 in the afternoon, and Angela and I have a conversation about whether or not we should be at church that night. And I said, well, i got to go preach, and they expect me. Um, and uh, she says, well, maybe we'll stay home. And, and Aubrey kind of wanted to stay home, and and uh, I said, well, honey, you know, you, you, you do whatever you need to do. But Angela's a legalist. And she said, well, we can't just stay home. We need to be at church. But here was, here was our rationale. She said, well, if we stay here, we don't do anything. I guess we'll just go. And we put Aubrey literally in a little red wagon, and we drug her to church that Sunday night. 
Um, and we didn't do it really out of any other thing than simply what's the good excuse to not be there. But here's what we found. We didn't want to be there here that night. But do you know that once we got here, the best thing that happened for us, I mean, one of those transformative moments in our entire Christian journey here was dragging Aubrey to church in a red wagon with a broken leg that night. Because what we discovered was that when we went to the place that we didn't want to be and had to see people that we didn't really want to see, what we found was that those were the people that we needed. They were the people that surrounded us with love and care and support. So we showed up with a depressed little girl. She had just had her first softball practice and all those other things, and she couldn't do any of it. We showed up with a depressed little girl and a depressed mom and a depressed dad, and we left with a little girl with with stuffed animals and balloons and flowers and all these things. Like the wagon became like a, a shrine to Aubrey while she was here. And people loved on us and prayed, literally prayed over her. Well, that seems like a small thing from nine years ago, but I'm going to tell you something. It was, it was a, a transformative experience for us because we learned in that moment that we need the church most when we want it least. We need the church most when we desire it the least. Folks, when it comes to our spiritual disciplines, they will not and should not be always onerous. They shouldn't always be this heavy burden that we bear. But listen to me. You need God's Word most when you desire it the least. You need prayer most when you desire it the least. You need the communion, the fellowship, and the worship, or, or the fellowship of God's people and the worship of the Lord most when you least desire it. The Bible says that these people, this early church, were committed to biblical discipleship. And I want you to know that when you commit yourself to growing in the Lord, to being discipled, to being a, di a disciplined follower of Jesus, that 90, 80, 90% of the time, you're going to be able to do that with great joy. But the, listen to me. Some of your greatest moments of growth are going to be in the valley. When in that valley you cry out to the Lord and you, you live the life that we just sang, the Lord is my shepherd, all that I need. Lord, in this moment, I need you in the hard times. The early church was committed to biblical discipleship. And folks, biblical discipleship is going to sometimes require you to be plugged into the things of the Lord when you just don't feel like it. But I want you to have this word of great confidence. It's in those moments when you don't feel like it that you're going to experience your greatest opportunities at spiritual growth. The early church was committed. Folks, let me ask you, are you reading your Bible regularly? What are you doing to grow? Like, Let's make sure that we're very specific here. There are practical things you can be doing to grow as a follower of Jesus. Read God's Word every day, systematically. Don't just open up and throw it down and go, I'll read something today. Just start somewhere and keep moving forward. Many of you read through the Bible with us last year. We started in Genesis and worked our way through. Some of you were so impacted by that last year that you're doing it again this year. If you don't think you can bite off all that right now, then be, open in the New Testament. Start in the book of Matthew and just begin reading. You say, Craig, I don't read very fast. Read a chapter a day. Read two chapters a day. Read 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day. Watch how the Lord changes you as you spend regular time in the Word. What are some other practical things you can do? You can journal. You, you might uh, collect your prayers or thoughts in a written place. Are you praying regularly? Do you make time to pray? Do you wake up and pray? Do you pray before you get in bed at night? 
Do you sometimes just turn the radio off in your car and pray as you ride down the road? Don't close your eyes. Be dangerous. But do you do that? Are you plugged into life group? I know some of y'all get tired of me saying that over and over, but are you? Listen, our life groups are the place where you're going to be disciple, where you're going to grow, you're going to be challenged, you're going to be changed. Maybe you just subscribed to Christian podcasts that would challenge you to grow further. Things that you can do. But are you taking those small steps to get you to where you need to be? A lot, a lot of people started some years ago wearing uh, smartwatches. I, I, I wear one. But before we got the smartwatches, we were just wearing fitness trackers. And people were wearing fitness trackers. Why? Because the goal was, I'm, I, I can, I'm a little healthier if I can just get to 10,000 steps a day. And it's true for what it's worth. Right? It might be better if, if we ate less biscuits and got 10,000 steps a day. I'm sorry, that's where my weakness is. Um, but the reality is sometimes we don't have to make drastic changes to see significant impacts in our lives. Are you willing to take some, some small steps right now? And maybe they'll add up to bigger things. You say, well, Craig, I didn't do anything but read two chapters a day. If you read two chapters a day every day this year, that's over 700 chapters of the Bible that you would read in one year. One year. If you only read 10 minutes a day, do you understand that's an hour and 10 minutes a week that you spent in God's Word? Y'all do the math. What's that? Four hours and 40 minutes a month? And then it just keeps adding up to something I can't get to beyond that. The point is we're doing a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And if we think of it that way, man, we've got great hope. Healthy churches are committed to biblical discipleship. The second thing, healthy churches love one another. Healthy churches love one another. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul. So look, we've got the teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread. Healthy churches love. They were committed to fellowship. The fellowship, literally. I love that. The fellowship. In the Greek, the word there is koinonia. Now, we often speak of fellowship. It's often a place we're going or a function we're going to. So I'm going to go to the church fellowship, perhaps. The idea of fellowship in these passages is very different. different. It's a shared life or a shared experience. One dictionary put it this way. Friendly or define fellowship this way. Friendly association, especially with people who share one's interest. I ate dinner with some guys after hunting a few weeks ago, and one of the guys sitting there, I, I didn't know these guys, so I just love the fellowship here. And it struck me as very, very odd because I didn't really have much in common with these people as they're talking about fellowship. And it struck me as odd because a Christian understanding of fellowship is so much deeper. When we speak of fellowship as believers in Christ, it's more than a common interest Fellowship as believers in Christ is the same word that we use to translate communion. This koinonia gets translated variously as fellowship or as communion. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we also say that we're taking communion or we're taking koinonia. We're taking fellowship with one another. Why? Because we have fellowship together through the blood of Christ. There's a, a familial relationship. My youngest daughter is, um, is, is working to understand the gospel. And, and I think she's there. I really do. She's, she's working diligently to get there. But, but it clicked really that she said, so 
when I'm a Christian, I'll be your daughter and your sister, right, Daddy? That's kind of weird, isn't it? I said, well, it might be kind of weird, but it's true. But there's this, this bond, bond, bond that we share with one another. We're related. And that relationship includes shared interests, but it goes beyond shared interests. When we gather for worship on Sunday mornings, it's sort of a family reunion. I get together with extended members of my family a couple of times a year. Listen, I don't have shared interests with many of them. Like we, we don't, I, I don't have cousins that I hunt with or that I lift with or that we exchange books or anything like that. I have none of those things that takes place, but uh, it's fine. We don't, don't worry about that. And pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Everything is good. It's just a, it's a um, technology issue that we're trying to wrestle through. Um, thank you, Kevin. I don't have shared interests with these people, but we share a common bloodline. It's amazing. We can get together and enjoy one another even though we don't share a lot of things in common. That's the concept of what it should be like to be a part of a local church. That even when we don't share all of the common interests, we share something deeper. We have the same Father. The early church loved one another. Healthy churches love one another. And look, they love one another in word and deed, right? The Bible says they held all things together in common. We actually find a way as followers of Jesus and as members of a local church to be willing to share our time, our talents, our treasure with those around us. That within the church body, we work diligently to make sure that there, if there are needs that we can meet, that we do meet those needs. That we provide for the care and the concern of those who belong to this church with us. Do you realize that part of what's kept churches, some churches from recovering from COVID is the lack of community, the lack of real biblical fellowship? See, the great concern that some had was that once we put our, our sermons and everything online, that people wouldn't come back. That they would just watch YouTube or Facebook Live or wherever it would be. Well, the reality is, if your church experience was only to come and experience a sermon, some people found that it was a lot better to just watch a sermon in their pajamas than it was to come watch a sermon in person. But if the church is more than participating in a sermon, if the church is actually a family, if it is the body of Christ, then the reason that YouTube and Facebook Live are not threats to the quantity of the fellowship and the gathering of the local body is because you can never, ever experience that in front of a TV screen. When COVID had just kind of kicked off and we were trying to figure everything out. We had a birthday party for my boys. And 
At that time, we, we were trying our best to keep grandparents away because our kids were still kind of all over the place. And so we just did, we just did a, a, a birthday party by Zoom. And it was great because the boys had cake and Angela did everything right. Like she, she ordered special cakes for everybody to go pick up from, at their own you know, house or whatever. And everybody had this. And we did this party by distance, which was, was actually kind of terrible. And, and it wasn't terrible because of her lack of effort because of the lack of planning. I mean, literally the boys had cards to open right there. It was terrible because there was nobody that got thrown into a swimming pool. You know, nobody tackled a nephew and gave him his birthday spankings. You know, there were no hugs from grandparents. It was just watching something. Folks, when church becomes just something we watch rather than something we experience, we have ceased to become a biblical church. The Bible says that the early church, when the church was birthed, do you understand that when people are born, they do what they're going to do for the rest of their life? They breathe air, they eat food. It turns out that what's, what the way you begin is, is pretty much the way you're going to end. And when people stop doing the things that they did when they were born, they die. The church was born, and when the church was born, the church preached the Word of God. The church, the church committed to discipleship. The church loved one another. The church worshiped together, and the church shared the gospel. Guess what, folks? When baby churches do that, baby churches grow up to be healthy, vibrant, big churches, adult churches, grown-up churches. But when big, grown-up, adult churches stop doing what baby churches did, they start dying. Characteristics of the church don't change. See, life is life no matter how we, we spin it. And alive things have this tendency to breathe and to grow. So healthy churches love one another. I didn't tie that together. I, I started there, but let me, let me just finish right there, right? But what was wrong was that we had these videos that gave us the opportunity to see something, but not to experience it. Folks, this is where healthy church has to happen, real fellowship. And listen to me, fellowship can happen if we have a church-wide meal. But if the only time fellowship happens is when we have a church-wide meal, we're missing the boat. Fellowship is shared life together, communal life together, just like we saw in the early church where they held things in common, where they were regularly together with one another to worship, to eat, to pray. Third this morning, healthy churches worship regularly. Day by day, they were attending the temple and breaking bread. That's what he says in verse 40, 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Now watch this. Before I jump to the importance of worship, I want to point out that worship and fellowship are closely tied together. It's not an accident that they were regularly worshiping and eating. This is why. Because there was this sort of, of, of accountability that came about. I worshiped, and then I went and grabbed something to eat with the people that I worshiped with. And after I did that, I began to build a relationship with them, and I look forward to seeing them at worship the next time. And the next time we showed up at worship, we were there together, and the, the next opportunity we had was we continued to strengthen the bond through fellowship, through the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread here might specifically have been the Lord's Supper, the communion experience. But here's the reality that we need to understand Part of the ways, if you're new here, let me just tell you, part of the ways that you're going to sort of grow as a part of the body is to build relationships here. One of the built-in ways that you create accountability for you 
to regularly be a part of, of your church and to worship regularly is to actually get to know the people sitting around you. Now watch. If you're new here, it's actually not your responsibility to seek somebody out. Folks, if you're not new here, you ought to be looking for people that you don't know and say, hey, I would like to get to know you. Can I eat bread with you? Or maybe not that weird, you know. <laughs> Could we come and commune at your home this weekend? Right? You might simply say, hey, you want to grab lunch sometime? All right. Because the two are reciprocal, the fellowship nature. This is why in our life groups, we emphasize our life group fellowship times at least four times a year. But the Bible says that they were worshiping regularly. Folks, worship is best understood as an act within the community. Worship is best understood as a communal experience, not as an individual experience. The teaching of the apostles and the worship of the people was driving the fellowship and vice versa. Did you hear that? The teaching of the apostles and the worship of the people was driving the fellowship. And we switch it around and say the fellowship of the people was driving their attention to the teaching of the apostles and the worship of the church. Last week we talked about the importance of worship, the importance of making every effort to attend. Buster read to us from the book of Hebrews just this morning. Folks, we must not disconnect the work of God in preparing the message and the preacher from the overall work of the Holy Spirit in discipleship and fellowship. I'm going to say that again so that you can write it down if you're taking notes. We must not disconnect the work of God in preparing the message and the preacher from the overall work of the Holy Spirit in discipleship and fellowship. This is why in so many of our life groups we do sermon-driven discipleship. And this is why, for the record, we're seeing so much success in this model of discipleship. Because we're seeing the Holy Spirit work through the preaching of the message and to continue to work in the lives of the people and for it to be applied in people's lives, okay? We're seeing this unity come together between the proclamation of the Word and the discipleship of God's people. This is what was taking place in the early church, the apostles were teaching, the people were eating it up, and then they were breaking bread. They were eating a meal together, and as they were eating a meal, they were trying to find ways to discuss and apply this message they learned from the apostles. Because guess what? They didn't have new curriculum that had been written for them. Do you realize that? Like the early church didn't go, let me run to the Christian bookstore and pick up the latest Bible study material so that I can, I can explain it to all of you over, over dinner at my house this weekend. There was nothing. They had the Old Testament, and they had the apostles' teaching. And they were just eating it up. And then they were applying it in their lives. And it wasn't complicated. It was just regularly hearing the word, applying the word. Folks, sometimes we get so caught up in hearing so much of the word that we forget that, the, that James warned us that we must not only hear the word, but do what it says. This is where I get really on dicey ground. I know a lot of religious scholars that don't love Jesus. I can take you to divinity schools. I, we can drive just up to Raleigh and go to Duke, and I can point you to New Testament scholars who do not love Jesus. New Testament scholars who deny the, biblical res or the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They know more about the Bible than you do. If discipleship and if Christian maturity were based solely on the knowledge of God's Word, I can assure you they are at the top of the chain. But if we take the book of James, for instance, another place in God's Word, and we take it seriously and we begin to learn, 
That God desires obedience and not sacrifice. Application of that word. Congratulations, you know it all. Are you applying any of it? This is what it looks like for us. Healthy churches worship regularly, and the worship of healthy churches should be driving the discipleship. The worship of healthy churches should be driving that growth in relationships, not only with one another, but growth in relationship with the Lord. Holistic, there's a holistic driving force here. Everything comes together to equip the church to be the body of Christ, proclaiming the message of Christ. When a church, and we're not here, so just so we're clear, when a church begins to experience competition between the, the, the preaching and the discipleship, then the church is divided, and a house divided against itself cannot stand. We can't look at the worship and the preaching of the Word as being separate from the discipling of God's people. The preaching of the Word of God has to drive the discipleship of God's church. It's got to be one and the same. Healthy churches worship regularly, and that worship has to be more than a Sunday morning event. That worship has to be life-changing. What does it take for it to get life-changing? Well, it takes, first of all, preachers who are committed to the Word of God and surrender to God's Holy Spirit, right? It also takes folks that are going to show up to worship eager to hear, to learn, to grow. When's the last time that you went to bed on Saturday night and you prayed for worship on Sunday morning? You went to bed on Saturday night. You looked forward to what God was going to do in your life on Sunday morning. The Sunday morning wasn't just something you got up and did. It was something you looked forward to. It was exciting. I took my kids in bed on Saturday nights, and when I took them in, I pray, Lord, prepare us for worship tomorrow. Do you pray that way? Do you pray? You pray so that as you come together and worship, that something can happen. Folks, healthy churches worship regularly. All right? Fourth, healthy churches share the gospel with others. The Bible says, and the Lord added to their number day by day. How? Well, this is kind of understood. Let me tell you how. Through the proclamation of the gospel. It doesn't say right there. It just says, and the Lord added to their number day by day. How do I know it was by the proclamation of the gospel? Because there is no name given under heaven whereby men must be saved except for one. And his name is Jesus Christ. How is it that people are saved according to the book of Romans? Through the hearing of the word. I know that if people were coming to Christ, that the gospel was being proclaimed. Because that is the only way they were coming to Jesus, folks. Healthy churches share the gospel with others. Which leads us to a question, how large should a church be? We've got a, a meeting. I hope you'll be praying for our refocus team meeting. But one of those questions that's come up as we've talked through our church body about these next steps that we've got to take, somebody says, well, how large of a church are we trying to be? Let me, let me promise. Peter didn't expect 3,000 people to be converted on one day. And he didn't anticipate exponential growth, right? There was no way that if you'd asked Peter like two months before this, so Peter, do you expect that in a couple of months that your 100 or so believers are going to blossom into 3,000 and then then that 3,000 is going to grow exponentially over the course of the next several years. Peter's saying, you know, I think I'm going to fish. <laughs> These are big numbers. I don't know. <laughs> Go ask Matthew. He's the one that collects the money. Maybe he can do the figuring for you. I don't know. Okay? He didn't know. Um, he didn't expect that. He preached the gospel. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, incredible things happened. We, we wrestle as a church body 
with asking this question of what are we trying to do? Some have asked how large of a church are we trying to go? Grow, grow. Folks, that is always the wrong question. We should never have it as our aim to be a church of a particular size. So if we say we want to be a church of 10,000, of course we said that in Camden, we get a lot of laughter, but if we say we want to be a church of 10,000, that would be wrong. We, we'd, we'd be aspiring to some sort of worldly attainment more likely than not. But likewise, if we're aiming to be a church of, you know, say only 200, we're also aiming at the wrong thing. One of these says, I want this so that I can get you know, credit on my back. The other says, I don't want it any larger because I don't, I don't like this for whatever reason. How large should a church be trying to grow? How large should our church be? Who knows? Who knows? And this is why. Our goal is to be healthy and evangelistic and to do whatever it takes to make sure that we have room for whosoever will may come to Christ. That's got to be our goal, right? That's got to be our goal. Whether that means that we have to have more room in a building or we have to have more services in a building, we have to make more space here, or we got to move out in the parking lot or whatever has to happen, Folks, we've got to be driving at this big idea that whatever it takes for us to reach the lost, we're willing to do. The Bible says that people, that the Lord was adding to the number day by day. Why? Because the early church had a heart for the lost. It was a heart for the lost. Healthy churches are filled with healthy believers, and healthy Christians have this tendency. They have a tendency to share the gospel with others. Why are there new faces that keep walking into this place? There are new faces because there are people that were already here that are telling other people about this place and about the Jesus that's making a difference in their life. Folks, as followers of Jesus, we've got to be telling other people about Jesus. In a few weeks, we're going to give this big push with evangelism here. We're going to spend Sunday morning service. Part of the sermon is going to be training you guys on how to do evangelism with, some, with, with the three circles. And so my, Our goal is for you to be able to share the gospel on a napkin. We're going to give you tracks that you can use. I've got one of these little things in my pocket. Right, look at this. Isn't that fancy? Kevin worked really hard to do this. Um, uh, some, some new invitation cards for you all to use and on the back. has a gospel presentation. Right. So on the front side, it just says, join me. You can write your name. I'll meet you in the parking lot. Here's my name and my phone number. But on the back side, can I talk to you about what God's done in my life? Can I explain to you how it is that God designed this perfect world that wasn't supposed to be stained with sin and war and death and pain? But because of our sin that, that we've seen this destruction that's come about, there's a brokenness in the world. That brokenness leads to death. But there's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, we want to encourage you to be sharing the gospel. Because the world is lost and dying. That's the bad news. But the good news, as I was reminded this morning, is what? That we have hope in Jesus Christ. The early church preached the gospel. And folks, we must preach the gospel. And preaching the gospel doesn't just take place up here. We looked at preaching last Sunday, right? Preaching the gospel takes place with you and your classroom students. It takes place with you at your place of work or your place of employment. It takes place with you on a job site. It takes place at a kitchen table. It takes place in a restaurant or coffee shop. It takes place at your family reunions. We must preach the gospel. 
Because it is the only hope for all of mankind. In conclusion this morning, what are the characteristics of a healthy church? Discipleship, love, worship, evangelism. As a church, we tend to say it this way. Love God, love others, and change the world. Those are our goals. Love God, love others, and change the world. If we will love the Lord, I'm going to tell you something, folks. We will get serious about discipleship and worship. We will. We will. Because we want to be with Him. We want to know more about Him. We want to grow. When we love others, guess what? This fellowship thing begins to be all right. We can work it out. We can figure it out. My life group this morning, for those of you that are just wondering if I just make up all these things, I was sitting on the floor this morning because we were out of seats. Right? Everybody got joy out of it. Somebody took a picture. Um, I mean, that, that, that's what we're talking about. When we're looking at this, but guess what? I was happy to be sitting on the floor. I like those folks. I enjoy being with them. I will sit on the floor just to hang out with them for at least a little while. I'll probably just move a chair up there next week, but still. But when we love one another, y'all, we find a way to spend time together. We just do. And change the world. Folks, there is no greater way for us to change the world than through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, perhaps there is no greater metric by which to judge a church's health than the number of her members who are sharing the gospel. Now, you say, Craig, what about discipleship? What about worship? Listen to me. People who are growing in godliness have this tendency to act like Jesus and to draw people toward Jesus. The Bible says that as a result of all that was taking place in the early church, that the people within the church, and it seems to suggest the people outside the church, all the people were filled with awe. Awe. I have this friend who gets frustrated when somebody uses the word awesome, especially when he hears pastors use the word awesome. He looked at me, I said something was awesome one day. He said, Dr. Thompson, don't you know better? Only the Lord is awesome. I said, man, leave me alone. But there's much to be said for that, right? we got to throw this word around. The Bible says that they were filled with awe. People that are in places of pain and, and depression a lot of times have lost their sense of awe. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes even, even just selfish people have lost it. They, they become so inwardly focused that the only thing they see is this little thing around them. There's been research that's gone into how people can experience complete changes in their mindset by being exposed to experiences of all. Hey, stop looking at all your problems and go look at a sunset and just get bigger than yourself. Have you ever walked through a garden and completely missed the flowers around you because you were only focused on your problems? The Bible says... That when the Holy Spirit of God broke loose in the early church, there was a sense of awe that permeated the church and all the people around them. 
that when lives began to be changed, people stood back with, what's going on? When we begin to share the gospel, people look at you and they go, what changed in your life? The world can be transformed. What should healthy churches do? Love God, love others, change the world. I'm going to tell you something. When a church is regularly, lovingly, compassionately sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have a pretty high degree of confidence that they figured out this discipleship and this love and this worship thing because they're trying to draw others in to experience the same things with them. Folks, as we work our way through the book of Acts and as we seek to apply the book of Acts in our life, being a healthy church that shares the love of God with others is the greatest greatest opportunity we have to imitate the early church. This morning as we close our service, perhaps you're here today and that sense of awe of a changed life is something that you've just never experienced. Perhaps you're here today and you say, I need Jesus. See, I recognize that as I walk in and I preach this, some of you showed up here today looking for hope. This has been a message all about what the church does. And I don't want you to walk out of here without knowing that the greatest thing the church has to offer to you is the good news of Christ. That's the message that they were preaching that was causing numbers to be added every single day. If you came here today looking for hope, we're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to sing. I want to invite you to come. I'd love to pray with you, and I'd love to show you where hope can be found. Some of you today, some of you today, though, honestly, you might be part of us, members of Malvern Hill. And you say, you know what, I've, I've been a, a stone, a stumbling block along the path toward healthy church. You like to come and you like to pray for forgiveness. You like to repent of that sin. Perhaps there's some of you today that just need to make decisions to be healthy in Christ. However it is that the Lord is leading you this morning, as we stand and as we sing, would you respond? Would you allow the Lord to work? in your life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the word that never returns void. I pray, Father God, that you would work among us and through us, bring about your good will and your good purposes here. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing.